Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from Chico Life Radio. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but a photographer of over 30 years. And if a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing, illustrating, and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This radio program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me. Each week we share a devotional inspired by the title of one of the cross images as we ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's devotional is The Climb. It is another small cross in the cross collection. (laughs) The overall image is exactly the same as the others, but the cross itself is about 100 feet away, maybe 50 yards away. And I am at the bottom of a hill, not a hill of dirt, but a hill made up of small medium, and large boulders. I am shooting up towards the cross, which is securely planted on the summit of boulders. The area immediately surrounding the cross is still covered in a circle of the same grass that you'll see in many of the other cross images. I could hardly believe my eyes the day I arrived back at the cross to see this scene. To me, it looked eerily similar to how I would picture Golgotha might have looked. Construction equipment had literally cut a slice out of the hill since my last visit. You see, the cross that I had found was put there by a school, an organization that wanted to build a new high school and junior high campus right there on that ridge. The land on and around the ridge was sold to the school in a sweetheart deal by a very well-to-do, financially independent local lady of God. Well, this really angered many of the land developers who had eyes on this hundred plus acre hillside, plans that involved a lot of potential tax revenues for the city versus a non-profit educational organization, not to mention potential for backroom graft. And since the school needed the city's approval for most of the stages of the school build-out, many impasses cropped up especially the first step to break ground. And the city seemed intent on derailing the entire project or stalling it as much as possible. So somebody involved with the school cut, shaped, and painted the cross that you see in my images. They dug a hole in the ground, placed the Bible in it, then erected the cross on top of the Bible and dedicated that hillside for God's plan for the school. I had stumbled across the cross, about a month or two after it was erected, and I shot it for about a year with the land around the cross undisturbed. 
And about a year into shooting the cross, the school officials finally did break ground. And the second year of shooting the cross was filled with amazing surprises. Surprises like this image called the climb. Meaning I'd arrive and find that the area around the cross had changed. And sometimes there'd be construction equipment nearby to climb on and acquire new angles. This explains the diversity of the cross collection. Yes, it has to do with the time of day, time of year, lens choices, shot location, meaning the angle that I would choose. But to constantly discover the landscape around the cross changing is a part of what added to the diversity of the overall collection. And in such a dramatic way, it can only be defined as a God thing, to which all I can do is to be grateful and say, glory to God. And I find it appropriate that no matter what changes and challenges we face in our lives, our family, our church, or in society, the story, the purpose, and the impact of the cross stays the same. Meaning while everything around our lives are in flux, constantly changing, the cross never changes. The principles, precepts, and promise of the cross never moves. It will not move even while the tectonic plates beneath our temporal life keep shifting. The bedrock of Golgotha is solid, steadfast, and sure. When events in your life begin to shake your footing, your foundation, and even your faith, then return to the cross. Now, this image reminds me of Psalm 24.3, which says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? What a profound question. To me, the question is, who is it that would not want to commune with God in his holy place way up on his holy hill. Not that it is easy to scale his holy summit, but those of us who have been forgiven and that have experienced the love of Christ will not and should never stop trying. Yes, the path is long, steep, and full of challenges, some of which may be self-induced, meaning there are hurdles or boulders to overcome, to traverse over, that arise out of our senses or a stimulation of them. Some refer to these as natural desires of our Adamic nature. The Israelites referred to these as the gates to your soul. They can be any positive gratification to your seeing, hearing, taste, smell, or touching. Some can be enjoyed too much, overeating, drinking, sex, to the point that they become a temptation, and if one or some are overindulged in, then it can become an obsession. At some point, the question is, does your will serve these distractions, or is your will in control? Or maybe you are dealing with negative emotions, in that you have ill will to something, someone, or a situation. Or maybe the challenge of this path itself starts to breed contentment. Maybe the path is muddy, or maybe there is a rock slide across your path that you need to climb over, or windstorms blowing in your face that maybe breeds resentment. 
to your journey. Or maybe your body just gets fatigued. Your body feels pain. Your mental acuity becomes cloudy. And your spirit suffers discouragement. Or maybe what takes hold of you is anxiety from the realization of the immense distance still to travel. Or maybe it is the cares of life that rob you of your peace. Or maybe it is simply you have a problem staying in the moment and enjoying the view from that section of the path. Or maybe the weight is slowing you down and that weight is the anxiety from worrying too much about the future. Or maybe by focusing too much on the pains of the past. Or maybe it is doubt arising from skepticism from friends and family about your faith. Or maybe you struggle with self-doubt about your ability to have what it takes to remain on the journey. Focusing on these doubts instead of the reward of the destination will leave you stuck on the side of the path suffering from double-mindedness. And Jesus told us a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Or does it all come down to your willpower to keep climbing? That is the point of the gospel. You can't. But what you can say is not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Real spiritual stamina and perseverance happen when you allow Jesus to dwell in you, allowing him to lead you to his holy place. Remember, you are an eternal spirit, not your body. God's holy hill is not just something to strive for every day, but your eternal destiny. Philippians 4 6 to 7. Chuck Swindoll is credited as saying, Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. This is a good reason we should read, pray, meditate on the Lord while things are relatively good, because you never know when the tectonic plates of life turns your life upside down or you become tested like gold in a purifying fire. A phrase I heard, I think it was from Archelaus, states, We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. So spiritually train now. So when situations like losing a child and a terrible accident happen, our faith is strong and secure. I remember I read an excerpt from Steve Chapman that says, No matter where I see the sight of of an empty cross, the divine symbol stirs very real emotions in my heart of hearts. It reminds me of a song by John Michael Talbot called Prayer Before the Cross, in which he has a reading section of the song where he speaks, So wherever the brothers saw a church, a crucifix, or even the mark of a cross, whether upon the ground, upon a wall, or in the trees and hedges along the way, They were to bow low with body and soul and adore the Almighty God. Now, that is a very cool phrase for me, thinking of long ago, the early church fathers and the saints. But nowadays, it could be something for me when I'm driving down the road and I pass a church of any denomination. I will quickly make the sign of the cross in front of the church, and I say a quick prayer for that little church or big church. And I, I, I do this every day when I pass a church. And it means something because as Christians, we notice crosses out and about much more than most folks. 
And if we all say a little prayer for those little churches we pass, it all accumulates and can somehow make a difference. It helps keep our mind stayed on Christ and facilitates us being able to walk in the Spirit. And more than that, sometimes I begin conversations with people I meet with cross jewelry, some that have become memorable, which would not have happened if I hadn't noticed the cross. This reveals a dichotomy and a paradox, meaning when I contemplate the original cross, that real one, not the stylized or artistically portrayed ones like those in my imagery collection, but the one that was stained with the blood of the King of the Jews and the Savior of all mankind, the one that held his tortured and disfigured body, damaged from repeated beating to the head with a rod, having portions of his beard pulled out, pieces of his body, during the Roman flogging, which was designed to quickly remove the flesh from the body of a victim. The Romans would, according to custom, scourge a condemned criminal before he was to be put to death. The Roman phlegalum, also called the scourge, was a short whip made of two or three leather thongs, which were knotted together with a number of small pieces of metal, usually zinc and iron, would cause deep lacerations, torn flesh, exposed muscles, and excessive bleeding that would leave the criminal or the convicted half dead. Death was often the result of this cruel form of punishment, though the Romans felt it necessary to keep the criminal alive, so the centurion would charge, would give orders to the lictors to halt the flogging when the convicted was near death. But for Jesus, this was something foretold prophesied about. In Isaiah 53, 5-6, we read, His head was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Also Isaiah 56 says, I gave my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who plucked my beard, my face I did not shield from buffets and spitting. Or Isaiah 52:14, quote, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. I am saying that this mangled body was the body that was placed on the original cross, and not from a physical perspective, as Jesus had to take onto and into himself all the iniquities of man across the span of history and into the future till the rapture. All of the most vile, disgusting, foul, nasty, unpleasant, horrid, dreadful, abominable, offensive, odious, unsavory, repulsive, repelling, wicked, evil, heinous, villainous, diabolical, fiendish, vicious, murderous, barbaric, cruel, dark, rotten, nefarious, monstrous, spiteful, and hurtful actions ever committed. And it is through the paradox of the physical and spiritual broken Christ on that cross that inspires the dichotomy of our perception of humbleness and hopefulness. 
I am humbled because the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against me was canceled out and nailed to the cross. Reference Colossians 2.14. In a previous episode, number 16, The Empty Cross, I discuss how the sins of the world remained on the cross. But I'm also hopeful because I have assurance by faith and you have assurance by faith that eternal Christ is ever before us. And I agree with this eternal perspective of hope. We all have to understand that we have the ability to make the choice, either at the end of our life or now, before we die, about the good news of the gospel, which is that we can make that choice now and live a life of joy instead of misery. The alternative, and you've seen this in some people, who gravitate towards self-destructive choices, which leads to a life of misery. But you have the eternal choice of joy or misery in front of you today. Now, some choose to perceive the cross as being a graph with each of the four lines extending to infinity. And the spot where they intersect is where God interacts with us through the sacrifice of his son on the cross. Similarly, I ponder how the cross is a type of compass with lines pointing east, west, north, and south, inferring that the point of intersection is where all the millions of souls across time gather together in and through Christ. The only problem I observe is that there is not enough people at the gathering place. Therefore, I feel it is more than a duty, but a joy to share the good news of the gospel to the despairing souls who need guidance to carry over into the joy of the Lord. As Christians, we should all embrace the joy of bringing a soul into the kingdom of God before their body dies. Another aspect is how the symbol of the cross reminds me to look up, just like the image chosen for this essay the image called the climb, where the viewer at the image, if they perceive themselves in the image, is looking up, with the cross being a good 50 feet above them, 100 feet away. The Messiah who died on that cross was resurrected and ascended into heaven and will someday return through the clouds of glory. Now we are talking my language as a photographer, especially as an inspirational artist, one of my favorite subjects to shoot are clouds. Well, not just clouds by themselves, although I have seen a gallery show where a photographer printed hundreds of 5 by 7 cloud images, just images of clouds. And yeah, it was a very cool gallery show. But no, what I typically shoot are what are called skyscapes which are typically vertical images with about 90% sky and landscape in the lower 10% of the image. This lower 10% of landscape gives the viewer some sort of scale or reference. Now, in the mornings, and especially in the evening as we approach sunset, I am often looking and watching the sky to be able to foretell somewhat the potential of the approaching sunset and even if i am out and about and not able to shoot i will soak in as much of it as i can i will soak in as much of 
a sunset as I can every night. And not just the sunset divided between the preset and the postset majesty. There is the indescribable setting, meaning that quick moving few minutes when the sun kisses the horizon line, dipping down until that last sliver of sunset disappears. And even before I watched the movie The City of Angels, where the angels would meet right at the moment of sunrise or sunset, I felt as a photographer, as an artist, and on my personal spiritual journey, that the most special time of the day is the rise of the sun over the horizon and the eventual dropping below the opposite horizon. To me, it is a moment of extreme contemplation mixed with prayer. I have certain deeply personal prayers that I say to God every time I see the sun hit the horizon line, whether it be rising or dropping. And many times I stop and I listen to the sacredness of silence or just enjoy the visual blessing no matter where I am when I observe it. And I'll sit there and I'll wait and I'll pray and I'll contemplate until the horizon line is passed. Now, from another perspective, I used to live in a large metropolitan region and I would sometimes be stuck in bumper-to-bumper traffic. But for those of you who know me, I'm always watching the sky, even in that kind of traffic. And some of the traffic would be very painful, and you would actually stop for 5 seconds or 10 seconds before you could go again. And sometimes when an amazing sunset would be going off, and I'd take a deep breath, and I would have to turn away and focus on the traffic as we all started up again. And I'd often look around to see who else was enjoying this amazing skyscape. And would you believe most often no one except for me was noticing the beautiful sky? And you know, this story is a type of analogy for my ministry. Like when I am reminded to look up when I see a cross, my mission is to inspire the viewer of my images to look up, to consider the creator of the creation I capture and present in my images. And of course, not just skyscapes or nature scenes like say, meandering creeks, forest trails, or leaves. But it could be an insect, like a praying mantis, or an animal, like a dog, or a human, like a very happy and joyful child. God's creation is all around us. And for me, every step is a photo, or can be, as it is all a part of God's creation. Everything is part of God's creation. Now, if the likeness of Christ is our target for living then the cross will assist us in setting our sights on Christ. It sounds, at first, like circular logic, and it is as if the lines making up the intersection is like the crosshairs of gun sights, right? A target. And the cross is something that we can use to keep our focus on Christ, not just the 100% divine Jesus who gave up his spirit to the sins nailed on the cross, but the man Jesus, the one who was 100% man, who learned what it was like to be human, to be hungry, to feel physical pain, feel grief, feel betrayed, and yes, on the cross, even abandoned by his heavenly Father. And to focus on the life and the ministry from the who he was perspective, how he exemplified love, kindness, patience, humbleness, 
forgiveness, and so much more, so that we can follow his lead and emulate his ways. In another aspect, I liken the cross to a key, unlocking the treasure chest of eternal truths regarding God's unfathomable love for us. Ours is the only religion that I'm aware of where we are not striving to get to God, or at least we don't have to, because he desired to repair the right relationship with us that was lost in the Garden of Eden. The sacrifice of his son, the Lamb of God, and the second Adam allowed for the right relationship with God and with each other to be restored. This also fulfilled the law, making it possible for us to live more abundantly. In James 1.17 it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Or John 3.1 that says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And if you then, who are unholy, know how to give your children good gifts, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? Having this assurance changes every situation we may face in life. Remember that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. That sword, ironically, is in the shape of a cross. And is God's final statement to the enemies of souls. Lucifer and his demons, when it was declared, it is finished. Blessed be the one who endured the sentence of the cross. In the bigger sense, the Calvary story has many tinges, like in the book of Esther, Queen Esther, and the whole drama of her uncle Mordecai and Haman, who tried to have the Hebrews exterminated and have Mordecai exterminated. But for those of you who have not read the book, spoiler alert, the plan backfired and Haman was killed on the very gallows he had built for Mordecai. I say this because the good news of the gospel is what the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. Satan felt he was winning like Haman by using the cross to kill the savior of the human race. Instead, the same cross pierced the skull of the devil. The Son of God and the Son of Mary crushed the head of the devil with the cross. Something that was told to Eve when her curse was pronounced. That the pain would be in childbirth, but that she would crush the head of the serpent. And since this allowed for Jesus to retrieve the keys to death, hell, and the grave, we have no need for discouragement or stress in the situations of our life, nor do we need to fear death. But how you face death is no longer as consequential. The question is how you will live. How you will live in this grateful and eternal perspective. What difference will it make when you go through tough and terrible times, knowing that the end of the story has already happened and that it all works out in the end? Romans 8.28 You can walk live and move in the truth of the gospel. Just believe it and apply it today. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me devotional program heard every week on Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, this devotional's image called The Climb, 
along with my other Versperations, and check out robholt.inspires on Instagram. And if you'd like to view my cross products or listen to other cross podcasts, then log on to robbyholt.com. That is R-O-B-B-Y-H-O-L-T.com.